Welcome to Founders Focus, a podcast made for founders by founders. I'm Scott Case, CEO and co-founder of Upside, and I created Founders Focus to help share free resources and actionable advice. Together, we're building a community for business leaders, entrepreneurs, and founders to come together to tackle today's challenges. This podcast is powered by my awesome team at Upside. Please visit foundersfocus.com to join the live video sessions or to catch up on past topics. And uh, with that, I'm going to welcome Eric Hansen, who is the co-founder and CEO of Mechanic. And I'm going to turn it over to Eric to introduce himself. He's uh, participated in a few Founders Focus as an audience member, and now he's here as a co-host. So, uh, Eric, over to you to give a little introduction about you and, uh, and Mechanic. Thanks, Scott. Uh, good afternoon, everybody. I'm honored to be invited to co-host Founders Focus today. And Thank you for having me and thank you all for participating. I was so excited. I even made a shirt yesterday because I know Scott always steps up his, his shirt game. So I made it. You can't see it that well, but it's a uh, fuzzy mechanic because of uh, the world that we live in uh, today and, and needing to be able to maintain focus. Uh, as Scott said, I'm the CEO and co-founder of Mechanic. We are a branding agency uh, focus on keeping pace with the digital economy. Uh, we combine management consulting practices, uh, human-centered design principles, uh, research methodologies, research methodologies to develop high-performing brands uh, and deliver measurable results. Uh, we focus um, on uh, emerging middle market and nonprofit businesses. Uh, we believe brand is business and business is brand. So. That's us. Awesome. I, I always like to start, especially with with um, uh, founders like yourself, kind of how you got here. So it's interesting where you are now, and we'll spend a little bit of time talking about about your experience over the last year. But I'd love to just have you unpack a little, like your journey. You know how you got here. I know that many of us have uh, a little bit of a wandering path to get to this place, but. I think it's valuable to spend a couple of minutes sharing how you got where you are now. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, it was messy uh, and it and it's still kind of messy. It's less messy today, but it, it was really messy. I started as a solopreneur uh, at the age of 15. I was uh, uh, designed uh, and was paid for my first two logos uh, at the age of 15. One of those, um, uh, I believe, is still being used by the company. Um, I launched my first agency at the age of 24, uh, along with a nonprofit art foundation. Um, and then, uh, and I was still an undergrad at the time. Um, I am uh, not proud, but proud to say I was an undergrad for about eight years. Uh, it took my time. Um, uh, but then, but at the age of 24, when I started my agency over the next 10 years um, to kind of package it all up, I launched two more agencies, was part of two aqua hires, three partnerships and one merger, uh, which all of those in, in their own right ultimately failed. Uh, you know, um, I guess you could say, um, you know, really for two reasons, um, money and ego. Uh, I think played a, a big part in those, but uh, they all were big factors in uh, getting me where I am today. During that time, I was also an adjunct professor at Boston College 
and George Mason, which was great during that time for recruiting young talent. Uh, and it was a great experience doing that. Um, fast forward to 2014, I was in a very short-lived and disastrous partnership slash acquihire, um, and it collapsed very quickly for reasons I won't trouble all of you with. Um, and my wife and I, um, from Friday when the relationship uh, with my former partner and agency ended uh, to Monday launched Mechanic um, uh, over the weekend. Uh, got a website up, got our business registered, um, business cards printed, had a couple of clients, um, and we launched Mechanic to bring um, bring transparency. Uh, it's a big component of our business. Uh, ethics. Uh, and and human centered to centered uh, disciplines to to the market and like I said earlier serving what we believed was an under underserved market in those emerging businesses and, and middle market uh, doing comprehensive branding creative campaigns digital solutions so it was a messy ride but but we got here so I want to dig in on on uh, two or three things from, from that part of the story. And then we'll talk a little bit about kind of the go forward from, from in this year. Yeah, absolutely. So you talked about kind of failures and, and you can be, be as gen general as you'd like to, but I know that one of the things that a lot of, um, a lot of founders or partnerships, uh, you know, struggle for a, a, a you know, a bunch of reasons, but I'm curious, can you share a little bit about what, what sort of didn't work with your partnership and, and, you know, was it doomed from the beginning? Did something change in the, in, in the partnership? Uh, did something, was there pressure that got put on? And then, um, well, and I'll follow up, but understand the partnership dynamic. We have a few, we have a bunch of people who are solopreneurs and, or they're solo founders. We have people who are in founding partnerships and, uh, you know, when you read the literature about a lot of startup failures, uh, uh, the, the number one thing is usually some kind of uh, founder dynamic that can't get resolved. And, uh, and if one partner or the other doesn't sort of take things on, um, the whole thing falls apart. So I'd love to kind of hear a little bit about your story there with, I don't want you to necessarily air any yeah, dirty no, laundry, no. but just sort of like, what are the essence of that as advice to others who might be in partnerships or forming one? Yeah, so I think part of it is, um, you know, just like in dating, sometimes it's it seems like so magical and, uh, you know, the stars are aligning in, in the moment and you get caught up in the excitement. So in, in two instances, you know, it was one agency that did very transactional work. Um, Whereas uh, throughout my career in the agencies that, that I've built, uh, we've done very much programmatic work, right? So it's larger engagements, it takes longer amounts of time. And so it seemed at that time to make sense, right? You've got, you've got kind of this <laughs> transactional work that keeps cash coming in and, and things like that. And then you've got these really larger engagements that are driven about relationships and when you when you tried to combine the processes and systems 
an operational back end of those without really doing your due diligence due diligence ahead of time, it caused a lot of pain. Um, and I think in in both of those instances, um, I was the you know smaller fish, if you will, in those in those M and A's, and um, they didn't you know they didn't really want to adapt to a different business model, uh, right? So we had challenges around how are we invoicing our clients and how are we servicing our clients and who's servicing those clients. Uh, so I think that was. Uh, an issue, right, is making sure not only does your vision align, but how are you going to align the back office to support it, uh, I think was an important part. Um, the second piece to all of those, and, and, you know, I call them failures because at the end of the day, they, they failed, right? But to me, they're not failure, failures. They were uh, stepping stones to where we are today, you know, where I am today, and, and, and I learned a lot from them. But, but the reality is, is what changed in, in, in those instances over time, and it didn't take very much time, was, was money, right? You know, we, we, we did a lot of things on a, sh on a handshake. Um, and I'll use one example, and I'll try to keep it vague. But um, I went into, a, uh, into another agency, um, and in the first three months of our, you know, our merger or M&A or, or whatever we're going to call it, um, I, I brought in the same amount of business in those three months that she had done, uh, the owner had done in the entire year before. And uh, that, that was threatening, right? I wanted to be compensated according to that. And, and that became a threat in, oh, wow, now all of a sudden they're, you know, we have the potential quadrupling our money and he wants some of that. And, and that became an issue. And, and in all those, in all the experiences I had, money really was a tension point uh, unless you really talk about it in the beginning um, and people's lifestyles can change, right? You can have a kid and all of a sudden your, you know, your, your, your financial needs changed. Um, and I think in all those instances, there was, elements of that to help yeah it does i think that that one of the things i've observed in almost all kind of interactions i guess that go awry is expectation management and sometimes where those handshakes go off is you know one person heard or thought one thing the other person heard or thought a different thing never wrote it down didn't clarify it and then sometime later that gets, you know, that gets revealed. And then at that point though, usually, you know, people are either confused or upset or, you know, the, the, the emotions sort of take over. And so I, I often tell founders when they're first starting out is to just, it doesn't have to be super formal. It's not like you need legal documents, but just write down what your expectations are. And, uh, and it just creates far less room for, Kind of confusion or or stress later and, and then revisit them right if the situation changes in some way you can come back and say i know we agreed on this but let's we got new information now life's changed and do something different with it so i'm, yeah, I'm curious I'll just, I'll just add oh, yeah. add to that real quick on 
on my current partner, one of my current partners, Alex. So my wife, Katie, is a partner in the business, but we have another partner, Alex Jimenez. Um, and, and to your point, Scott, we wrote down uh, everything, you know, from the minute we started talking um, and we took our time. So I wanted to bring him in as a partner right off the bat, even though I should have learned my lesson from all these other experiences. And, and he had, he, he taught me at that time and he's continued to teach me over the, over the years. And we'll talk about this more is to pump my brakes and slow down a bit. And so what we ended up doing was we had a kind of letter of intent in place, but we brought him on for over a year as a consultant with, if it's successful as a consultant, then he will transition to a partner. And then to your point, Scott, we reevaluate and have renegotiated our partnership terms almost every year over the past six years uh, of working together um, because he's had kids. I had a kid. I bought a house, you know, revenue changes, staff size changes, profit margins changes. Uh, and, and we just really have an honest dialogue about that um, probably quarterly uh, and, and really revisit it in writing uh, yearly. That's huge. It's, uh, and it's, it's an open dialogue. I'm curious, uh, some people start companies with their spouses. You've got an interesting dynamic, you know, your story of the founding of mechanic was you and your wife decided to launch the business kind of over the weekend. Then later you brought another partner on. How has it been with your spouse in the business and working through all of those changes? What, what has, what advice do you have for someone who might wade into that uh, approach? Um, uh, the spouse part or the, or the third partner? Um, both. Well, both. Um, I would say if you're going to go into business with your spouse, uh, you better really, really, really love each other. Um, and, 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 and hopefully you've been through some tough experiences because it's, it's probably one of the hardest things I've ever done in my life. Um, uh, my wife recently took a leave of absence from the company, but mostly because of, uh, outside factors. Her, her father was diagnosed with stage four cancer and then, uh, fast forward to now with COVID. COVID and, and having to do virtual learning, she's taken a leave of absence from, from the business. But, you know, the, the benefit of bringing in a third person to the equation, and, and one of the reasons we did it very early on in a consulting capacity and then in a formal partnership capacity was it no longer became an argument between husband and wife you know, where do we invest? Where do we divest? What do we, you know, who do we hire? Where do we hire? We had a, a third person whose interest was really about the business. Um, and so in many cases that worked, um, I think what was interesting over the last few years with working with my wife is as our business has grown, my wife always really loved being a SME and being in the work. And as we grew, my business partner and I, uh, Alex started to have to really focus on the business instead of in the business. And, and that created some challenges. You know, there was times where I, I believe my wife felt left out, but I, I don't, you know, we, we just did our best to talk it through to, uh, you know, simple things, like, you know, you know, 
Alex and I get up at five o'clock in the morning. Um, and before COVID, we were at the office by 6.15. You know, my wife is not a morning person. So what would happen is Alex and I would make a lot of, have a lot of conversations and make a lot of decisions about the business before she got to the office. Um, and we just had to talk through that and, and help her uh, feel involved in the conversations where she had to be involved. And then the other thing too, is also realizing all three of us didn't need to be in every decision-making. Uh, it really depended on our lanes um, about who needed to be involved in what. Yeah, managing those expectations, by the way, whether it's with your spouse or not, especially when yeah. a company starts to grow, you have, it's just you and another person, and you add another person, and then everybody's involved, and then all of a sudden you have 10, 15, 20 people, and you can't all be in the same, you can't even all be current at the same time, even right. on your best day. So, all right, so we're here, we're at the beginning of 2020, you had big plans like most of us did at the beginning of 2020. Kind of what, what were your big plans and then um, what happened? Uh, so 2020, yeah, we, uh, tw beginning of 2020 was really exciting. Um, we had a lot of a momentum. Uh, we had just, uh, you know, had our fifth year anniversary, uh, our revenue, you know, um, we had just been in our new office that we had just built out uh, six months earlier. Our team was growing. We had 20 to 30% growth year over year. We were having decent profit margins. We were reinvesting in the business. We were really hitting a stride. Um, we had developed, a, 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 the three of us, Katie and Alex and I had developed a, a multi-year strategy in the first six months of starting Mechanic. And we had stayed very true to that strategy. And so we were seeing the benefits of, of kind of staying focused and, and following the plan that largely Alex built. You know, I got to give him credit where credit's due. Um, and so we were really excited. I mean, we had planned, on, you know, we were building a proprietary technology um, to, to be more tech enabled uh, as a service company. Uh, we were we were planning on reworking our five-year strategic plan for the next five years. Uh, we had a goal and a plan laid out to hire three to six new roles with as a company of 12 people, three to six new roles is, is a big deal. Um, we were looking at heavily at executing on one to two small M&As uh, to expedite some of our growth goals. Uh, you know, at the beginning of the year, we were targeting to... to be over 2 million in revenue. And um, then COVID came, uh, you know, and, um, you know, so, so what's happened since? Um, revenue is down uh, from last year. Um, we, not like some businesses, um, but, you know, we, we took a hit. We had um, a lot of our, our projects are, the, as I said before, kind of programmatic projects that can take anywhere from six months to two to three years to really embed into a company, depending on their size. You know, we do do smaller engagements, but a big portion of our, our, um, uh, of our revenue was based around organizational transformation. And what we've seen this year is businesses still want to invest in branding. They still want to invest in 
uh, marketing and innovation and creative campaigns and digital tools, but that kind of organizational transformation where we had the big revenue dollars, that really slowed down. Um, um, uh, our hiring had to take, so the biggest areas that we were hit was in the, in the slowdown of uh, revenue. And so we had to really kind of rethink how are we going to de deliver value to our clients? Where do we need to invest to deliver more value? Do we need to pivot some of our services while still staying true to our core? You know, we didn't want to all of a sudden, you know, and I've seen this, I, I literally have seen this with other companies, like suddenly decide tomorrow we're selling PPE equipment. <laughs> you know, like, you know, we didn't want to take a dive off a diving board out of, out of, out of the chaos, but we did no recognize, we slowed down for about two, three months to really kind of see what was trending in the market, what was happening with our clients, were things going to bounce back? And when we really saw that it was, this was a long-term play, uh, Alex and I hunkered down and, and went back to the original plan. All right, let's focus on M&As. Let's start exploring those opportunities with the in the digital space that we wanted to grow in originally uh let's in, continue to push and even put more aggressive timelines on investing in our technology um uh in our strategic plan uh in our website and marketing and communication so we you know we took a lot of that time that maybe we would have been pushing out externally to client work and 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 focused it in on us so that we didn't lose momentum. We really wanted, didn't, you know, there was a point in July that I remember having a phone call with, with several CEOs and I got off the call and I felt like shit. I felt like, the, like I didn't wanna go to work the next day. I was not motivated. I didn't know how to motivate my team. And I woke up the next morning and I was just like, nope, I'm not gonna get in this trap. It's a, it's, it's a trap I've been in before. I've made bad decisions and uh, I came into the office and Alex, you know, and I started to talk things through. And, and since that day, I feel like Alex and I mentally have been, been in a really good headspace every day that we've come in and we've lost contracts and opportunities and, and you know, employees and, and all the things, but we've really tried to focus on 20 uh, actually scott i think it was you that i heard talk about this earlier in the summer 2020 was done you know in april so let's focus on 2021 2022 2023 what does what does mechanic look like in two years from now and how do i get there and by focusing on that it, it took less energy off of off of the day-to-day -day pains that we still had to deal with and we still had to manage but it made it a, a little bit easier by by having keeping our eye further out past the horizon uh you're muted scott no problem having some clarity around your planning horizon uh, and knowing what it is, right? Hey, look, we're only gonna we're only gonna think about the next three months as a different headspace to be in. Then we're gonna think about the next three years, and you have to be at different spots. You know, I'm curious. Let's go back to that July moment, right? You you got you were kind of in a headspace where, man, I don't even know if I want to keep going. One of the benefits of having a partner or having a, 
uh, a strong relationship with a co-founder or, or with, if, you, if you're a solo founder, having somebody that's current with your businesses, being able to talk that through. So how much of that turn was driven by kind of your own internal, like, I'm just not going to go there again. And how much of it was through that dialogue with Alex that kind of got you unstuck? Because I know a lot of people get stuck, not just because of the pandemic, but we get stuck in our businesses all the time for all kinds of reasons. So is there anything that, any advice you would have of kind of getting unstuck when you're in that space? Yeah. Um, yeah. So part of it was just me saying, I'm not going to let this happen, right? I'm not going to let COVID and, and the, this define me as a CEO and define the future of our company. But, but the other part of it was uh, leaning on other CEOs, um, other founders, obviously Alex. Like to me, Alex is you know, without sounding cheesy, right, has really become the yin to my yang in, in the ability to, um, to, to run this company with my wife outside of the business for the last few months. That's been really helpful because it's actually been easier to go home and talk about work with my wife because we're not, she's not here every day like she was before. And so in a lot of ways, that, that's been a really nice outlet is having my wife uh, there as, as my, as a co-founder, as my business partner, but more so as my wife and my partner in life to help me navigate some of this. But the other big thing was, was really, I've invested a, a huge amount of time and energy over the past few years, um, in leveraging my relationships with other CEOs. And that's both in the space, uh, that we operate in marketing and branding and creative services, digital technology, but also uh, I'm a member of EO, which is entrepreneur organization. It's a global organization. You have to be doing over a million dollars in revenue to become a member. Uh, it's been, the relationships I've built there have been hugely beneficial. Um, you know, I talked to, uh, one of them's on this call, uh, actually, uh, you know, I have at least three one-to-one -one conversations per week with another CEO or, or founder of a business. And, and, and it's not shooting the shit. I mean, yes, we shoot the shit a little bit, but like we, we talk about real problems and real pain points, whether it's in our personal life or in business. And, and uh, you know, a lot of those, it's, it's largely focused around business, but I'm, I make the time at six o'clock, you know, I have a couple CEOs that are early birds like me and I get on the phone with them. And, you know, in the morning when I'm walking the dog and one of us has an issue that we need to hash out uh, or Andrew Tate, who's, who's on this call today, uh, CEO, we've been friends since we were kids. Uh, he's on the West Coast. Uh, I'll call him at 10 o'clock at night and it's seven o'clock his time. And, and we'll talk for an hour about a problem he's having with his company or a problem that I'm having with my company. Um, and even if I'm not dealing with the same problems that he's dealing with and vice versa, you can always find those connections. And I think that's been really helpful for me is not holding things to the chest, not thinking, listen, whatever problem you, you, you think that you are having as a business that nobody else will understand is not true. Uh, <laughs> you know, what, one of the things Alex has told me is like our, you know, our business isn't unique. 
I mean, it, we believe it's unique and there are components of it, but, but the problems we deal with, and, and if you're willing to have uh, tough conversations with other people, you can work through those. And most of the time, CEOs want to, right? Founders want to hash through these problems because that's why they became an entrepreneur. That's why they did this was not because of the glory. It, most of them do it because of the pain in a sick and weird way. Look, I, th I think you're right. I also think that that you, you, you've said a few things that are important. One is, is you've got to invest the time in building those relationships. And, and oftentimes you describe this as shooting the shit. Some of it is just anchored on common interests, common understandings, common experiences, or diverse experiences that allow someone to bring something new to the table. But I, I'm fascinated how often solving, working on somebody else's problem is a heck of a lot more enjoyable and, and rewarding than working on whatever problem I have in my business. Um, like on my own, and then getting another perspective uh, is really is really valuable. The other thing is is not just investing in it, but being consistent with it. And you know, we have a LinkedIn group for all the founders focus members. And if you're not a part of it, you should be. And I think we're starting to see people get comfortable enough to be able to reach out to another member of founders focus and say, "Hey, can we get some one on one time together?" There's some groups that have been formed where people are getting together once a week or so. So finding those two or three people and investing the time and energy is, is really important. I want to shift to uh, not so much mechanic as a, as a, um, you know, the specifics of your business, although I do, I did get a question on this, but more from like, how do you get clients? Like what is your strategy to market at your own business? And, and the, the sort of follow-up to that is, especially in a business like yours, um, how do you choose which clients to pursue and which ones to maybe back off of, you know, once you've learned something about them, like how do you go about acquiring new clients? And then how do you decide which ones to really take on? Cause as you point out, those relationships tend to be long-term relationships. You know, they're, they could be multi-month, yeah. multi-year. Yeah. So, uh, you know, part of it is we get a lot of referral business. Uh, we get a lot of word of mouth business. Um, as I said, relationships have been critical to my career for the past 20 years. Um, and so I would say a good portion of that comes through referrals, um, uh, content and creating content and marketing that content is, uh, another way. It's, it's interesting how we can write a blog post or an article and push it out to, the thousand or 2000 people that are in our, you know, um, maybe it's more like 4,000, but whatever the number is in our email list, that that will get forwarded to somebody else that's having that problem in that moment. And then we'll, our phone will ring. Um, it's, it's super interesting. Um, we do a bit of outbound marketing, but it's more for brand awareness than it is for sales because people typically have to be in a, at an inflection point to, need our services. Um, but I, I would say the number one is, is through the relationships that we've built over time. How do we evaluate if those are, are, are the right opportunity is, um, does the prospective client uh, value and believe in the work that we will do for them? You would be shocked at how many times we talk to prospective clients that, um, are doing it because they think they have to, not because they actually want to work with us when it comes to branding and marketing. Um, 
is there buy-in and participation from leadership and decision makers? So depending on the scale of the company, um, you know, that might not be necessarily a CEO or even somebody in the C-suite, but the work that we need to do needs to be championed. It's not just we're designing a brochure or we're designing, you know, a, a widget for a website. I mean, this work is programmatic work. And so it needs to be championed by leadership. And if the leadership isn't there, uh, is there a cultural and uh, personality fit? Um, you know, uh, and this is hard. That's hard. That takes time. Uh, but I think uh, as something um, with with me is I'll put in that time before we sign a contract. I We have a client that now has been a client for four years. It took me two years from the time they said they were ready to work to the time they actually started working with us. And I, and I put in that time and, and it's proven to, you know, generate hundreds of thousands of dollars in revenue for our company for me putting that time in. Um, and is there a long-term opportunity? So we believe in a theory of land and expand. So what I mean by that is uh, we would rather get our foot in the door with a small project because one, that'll be able to test the waters if there's a cultural fit, but two, it'll allow me to prove value, right? And it'll allow me to show our clients that uh, we're a good fit for them or that we can deliver on our promises. And so I'll, I'll, you know, I worked at an agency before where the CEO came and was like, we will not touch a project for under a half a million dollars. And I was like, you're, you're crazy. And I, and I left like pretty, pretty soon after that. Um, because I didn't believe in that philosophy, right? I wasn't chasing the dollars. I was chasing the work and the relationship. Uh, and so that was a big difference for me. That actually picks up nicely on a question that Andre asked. Um, you know, he's out pitching to, for investors, but in the process, you know, he scooped up a whole bunch of other relationships and the, and his question boiled down was, you know, is it a good strategy or is it a waste of time to, to kind of build those relationships? And I, I know what my answer is, but I'd love to hear, you know, your your quick answer, Eric, on how you think about those kinds of relationships that might not be on target right now, but could turn into something valuable later. You know, I think that's a really personal question. I think it really de depends on your personality. Me, I will invest in a relationship till it's not worth anything. Um, as opposed to my business partner, where that's not how he approaches things, right? He, he, he wants to know that there's going to be value in that relationship. But, uh, you know, I, I, Kat Cole, if, if you look her up, she's the CEO of um, uh, the organization that owns like Auntie Anne's, like all those chains. You know, she, she did a presentation where she talks about never saying no. She, you know, she always said yes to an opportunity and because you never know what that's going to turn into. And, and I think from a relationship standpoint, you know, uh, I have relationships with people on the upside team that date back 10, you know, over five, seven years ago that have brought me to this point today, co-hosting with, with Scott right? That wouldn't have happened if I wasn't invested in those relationships in that time that, that happened. So I believe it's worth it. Um, 
but again, it really depends if you're chasing dollars versus you're chasing, um, you know, a purpose kind of and, and something different. And that's hard. Uh, that's a hard distinction to make. Yeah, I, I, I think that you said it, the investments are important and it's shocking to me how relationships are saying, yes, I'm a big fan of saying yes. And that doesn't mean yes, like I'm going to do everything you ask me. That means get to a place where I can be useful to you. No, you know, maybe I can't be the person speaking, but maybe I can introduce you to somebody who does, who can speak for you, you know, speak at your conference or whatever. Um, but it, it, you can scope and control how much you invest, but it's worth investing in. I've got one that's, I got one sort of speed round question for you. I think you'll, you'll be able to do it pretty quickly. But uh, one of the questions was, we've got a lot of startups here who don't have a brand yet. Are there, are there some one or two mistakes that people make when they start thinking about establishing a brand for their, for their startup? Um, and let's assume that they're not, they don't have the resources, they're not ready yet to hire somebody to help them. Are there some things that they, you know, tips and tricks of things to avoid? Yeah, so don't hire a company like Mechanic if you're just starting off. And we, we tell this to companies all the time who come to us and they're like, no, I want to invest in branding and things like that from what my experience and even with starting branding agencies is you got to go out and just start doing the work that you are planning on doing because um, it will shift a little bit. It, very rarely is it going to be what you believe it's going to be before you get started. So I tell a lot of people, go out and do it and get a couple paychecks in the door and make, you know, start bringing in some of that dollars or start building that technology and then being, I hate to say it, there's a lot of resources out there for very little money for you to go out and get people or do like, you know, what got me started on my career, go find a, you know, somebody who's young and hungry, who's going to design your logo or your website or your marketing material or do your social media content or create your video content because they need a portfolio, pay them, but don't, you know, but just pay pay them, you know, what you can afford it, you don't have to spend tens of thousands of dollars until you're ready. What I do think is important from a branding standpoint, which is more important than your logo and kind of the external expression is really understand who are you, what do you do and why does it matter? Right. If you can't answer those three questions, you got a fundamental problem. And we have had so many clients where they come and they're like, it's, it's just too complex. It's really too, too complicated to explain what I do in less than a sentence or two. And that's just not true, right? I mean, yes, the technology on the back end or the science on the back end might be more complicated, but are you saving people's lives? Are you helping building high performance brands? Are you helping executives better experience business travel uh, you know, what is it that you do and why does it matter? And what is it? Why should they hire you as opposed to whoever else is doing it? really focus on in on those three questions. And, and that's like the that's the biggest challenge of branding is, is defining that and also figure out who your audience is. Who are you going to sell it to? Because 
uh, Andre, it might help you from wasting time talking to the people that you don't need to talk to right now. And maybe if your time is limited right now, you really need to focus on creating personas. I want to talk to executives that run businesses that are under X million dollars a year that have blah, 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 define those personas. Uh, because knowing who you need to invest the time in and what the story is you need to tell them is, is like all we do as a company. Absolutely. I'll, uh, I'll give you another, another resource. It's less about, it's less about branding, but it is a, an example of how do you get at those questions. So there's a, um, Pat, Patrick uh, Lancioni wrote a book called The Advantage, and he's got a framework in there. I'll, I'll post a link to it. Uh, around just asking six questions about your business. And if you basically can't get at answers of those, and then you have to recognize that even once you answer them, two weeks later, you might change your answers because you're getting new information, especially when you're early in it. So it's another framework to just be able to say, going to get after it from that standpoint. Uh, with that, Eric, thank you so much. Uh, we covered a lot of ground and we didn't even get close to covering all the ground we had planned for. So um, really appreciate thank you spending you. the time with all of us today and uh, sharing your story and answering a bunch of questions. Um, is there, if people want to learn more about Mechanic, is there a, what's the web address for it? Uh, mechanic.com. Uh, that's mechanic with a K M E K A N I C.com. Feel free to email me, Eric, E R I K at mechanic.com. Um, and the last thing I'll say is, you know, whoever says uh, business isn't personal or it's not personal, it's business has never successfully run a business because business is very personal. Uh, so I'll leave it at that. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. You know, Businesses are abstractions. The human beings are real and they're, they're in those yeah. companies. So uh, thank you for that. Uh, thanks everybody for joining us. That was awesome. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of Founders Focus. What did you think? You got any feedback for us? Got a topic that you'd like us to discuss? Or maybe a future co-host? We'd love to hear from you. Just hit me up on LinkedIn at T. Scott Case. And uh, join us at foundersfocus.com to stay up to date with the latest episodes and join us live every week at our Founders Focus sessions. Hope to see you there.